Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On this edition of Primetime Politics, the COVID squabble continues between Ontario Premier Doug Ford and the Trudeau government over stricter border measures. Our MPs will be in to weigh in on whether Ottawa can or should do more. Alberta Premier Jason Kenney continues to face political pushback from his own caucus. I'll speak with one of two members expelled from his caucus over disagreements over the pandemic and leadership. And our journalists will weigh in on the Ethics Commissioner's report on Justin Trudeau and Bill Morneau and the We Charity and on the government's new guidelines for what Canadians may or may not be able to do and what the Prime Minister has now called our one-dose summer. But we start with the ongoing political quarrel which continued this week between Ontario Premier Doug Ford and Prime Minister Trudeau over what Ford calls the uh, Ottawa's weak and porous border measures, which he says are fueling the pandemic. Joining me now are three MPs from the different parties. Greg Fergus is a parliamentary secretary and the Liberal MP for the Quebec riding of Hall Elmer. Shannon Stubbs is a Conservative MP for the Alberta riding of Lakeland and her party's public safety critic. And Don Davies is the NDP health critic and the MP for the riding of Vancouver Kingsway. All three of you, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Okay, I want to start with uh, what was very much in the news yet again this week, and that is uh, Greg Fergus, Doug Ford, again, in Ontario, reiterated what he says are basic measures that Ottawa is not doing. And he is again requesting, and I think his fourth letter to Ottawa, mandatory PCR testing of all domestic tra- air travelers, tighter restrictions on international travel, mandatory quarantine hotel stays for people arriving at the land border. You know these three requests. Why hasn't Ottawa moved on these three specific requests yet? Well, I think Ottawa is always ready to play a role to be supportive of the provinces, and especially of Ontario as they're having some difficulty dealing with the COVID-19, the third wave of the break. Um, As a result, on the international side of things, which is what the federal government plays a role in, uh, we've been uh, speaking with Ontario and we're trying to identify which travelers that they would like us to, uh, to to stop bringing into this country, whether you know, if they're international students or with uh, international healthcare workers, we can we can do that and we can work with them on that front. On the uh, interprovincial side of things, of course, as we've seen with the Atlantic bubble, that's very much provincial jurisdiction. But in that effort, we're still there. We're still ready to help, and we have you know, millions of PCR tests right. uh, that uh, we've given to Ontario. We'd be happy to supply them with more, and we're there to try to help them in any way possible. I live in a in a, uh, a border community. Uh, my riding is on the border of Quebec and Ontario. Uh, so, you know, we've seen that when the Ontario government has put in border controls to try to discourage non-essential travel across the border. Um, so we know that that's possible and we're happy to work with them. Okay, uh, what about the, uh, the, together. the third request? And that was, and this is probably their, their first request that they made, and that was uh, actually Im- imposing... Uh, quarantine hotels, a three-day quarantine hotel stay for people crossing at the land border between the Canada and the U.S. The federal government's yeah. position on that? Well, again, we'd have to take a look at that. I mean, the, the, the reality is, is less than, in the case of Ontario, less than 1% of uh, COVID infections are a result of uh, international uh, uh, cross-border travel, plane and a car included. The it's easier to do it on planes, obviously, because there are a limited number of entries into into Canada by by airport, uh, by um, 
by car borders, of course, there's uh, many, many, many uh, uh, dozens, I should say, of, of uh, land entries. And then we would have to try to figure out the logistics of getting uh, people to uh, specialized hotels uh, that can mm-hmm. quarantine them uh, properly for that time. Is it safe so, to say that the federal government is looking askance at that, that proposal because of the logistics? Because we've heard no response I think to it's it. Fair to, I think it's fair to say that we're looking at the proposal uh, and we're looking at it very carefully with our officials. Okay. Uh, Sharon Stubbs, is your party in favor of all of these things that Ontario Premier Doug Ford is requesting? For example, also is the Conservative Party of Canada in favor of the mandatory quarantine hotels at land crossings? You have a border in Alberta with uh, Montana, uh, mandatory hotel stays at land crossings? Well, uh, here's the first thing I would say, Martin. I think that it's uh, most Canadians are probably wondering how we could be a year and a half into this and how it could be the case that the federal government hasn't actually established certainty and clarity on a whole number of fronts that both all of which include having uh, secured sufficient vaccine supply. We're behind our allies and, uh, you know, 86 in the world in terms of vaccinations um, per population, per percentage of the population. Uh, they There's still to this moment no consistent, clear national pre- and post-arrival rapid testing system, uh, which Conservatives have been calling for uh, since last January. Um, And here we are now talking about this quarantine program, which has been rife with problems and uh, inconsistently applied. And as you know, Conservatives have called for a mandatory end to this program on two grounds. One is this. First of all, officials and the government have never, ever provided the evidence, the science, the rationale that uh, they have used to make this decision to implement this quarantine program. So you're not in favor then? Okay, so you're not in favor of the Ontario proposal about mandatory uh, quarantine hotels? I think that uh, premiers of every province are making all kinds of demands of the federal government. They're having to make extremely difficult decisions. But the reality is they've been forced into that position because of the Trudeau Liberals' failures on borders, on vaccine supply and on pre and post arrival rapid testing. Okay, Don Davies, what do you make? I mean, uh, the reason we're bringing this up is that the Ontario Premier is persisting uh, in, he's now sent four letters to the federal government. So uh, just on the Ontario request, what do you make of what's going on between Ontario and the federal government? Well, I think there's there's two fundamental issues that need to be clearly understood. And frankly, there's a, a lot of myth making and misleading information. Number one is the federal government has primary jurisdiction to deal with emergencies. At Health Committee right now, we're studying this very issue and we're hearing from constitutional experts. There's 100% agreement that it's the federal government in a time of emergency that has the constitutional authority to act. Number two, this nonsense line that we have the strongest border controls in the world has to be punctured. Okay, um, first and foremost, you know, how do you have a, a hotel quarantine rule? And leaving aside whether it's good or bad, the, the, the federal liberals brought it in, but they only apply it to passengers arriving by air. It's tens of thousands of people are getting around that by simply flying to U.S. border towns and crossing by vehicle. Uh, number two, um, we know that at two of the four airports that are allowing international travelers in this country, uh, the provinces are not even enforcing 
any federal quarantine rules. That's in Alberta and Quebec. Mm -hmm. uh, finally, CBSA is not even asking international passengers coming from the states whether they've been vaccinated or not. It's a prime time to get that data. Look, since the start, we've been focused on international flights, but only one in seven flights in this country is international. 85% uh, of the air traffic in this country is originates to and from Canadian cities. Yeah. So tens of thousands of Canadians are traveling across Canada every week with effectively no testing or quarantine. And data is showing that that's how we're spreading variants from region to region. And the federal government has the jurisdiction, they're the only uh, authority of government that has the jurisdiction to enforce interprovincial travel guidelines uh -huh. or rules. And they haven't done that. And, and we're, we're seeing spread of transmission of, of COVID because of that. Okay, Greg Fergus, you're on, as you mentioned, you're on the Ontario-Quebec border. We did hear Quebec Premier Francois Legault at one point also expressing concerns about the, uh, the Trudeau Airport in Montreal. Uh, and as Don Davies just mentioned, this is primarily federal jurisdiction when it comes to interprovincial travel. Do you think your government is coming, coming no. under increasing pressure to try and bring in a national standard for testing at, for interprovincial travel in, by airplane? With all due respect to my colleague, Mr. Davies, that's actually not the case. Okay. Um, there is, uh, the provinces do play a, a very big right. role on interprovincial travel, and then provinces can determine whether or not they're going to let people cross But would cross it not be beneficial border. to have a federal we, standard? We saw, we saw this with the Atlantic bubble, which has very successfully has worked uh, for the Atlantic provinces where their caseload is extremely low. Uh, it helped in, in Quebec when we did establish uh, different lockdowns, a different very serious lockdowns to bring down our numbers. We haven't been hit by the third wave as other provinces have been hit. Right. So, I mean, there are ways that provinces uh, should exercise their jurisdiction, and we're happy to play a role with them uh, when they want us to play that role. If but Ontario the Prime Minister, is looking for us okay. to play that role, we'll, we'll be happy to join them in doing so. But the Prime Minister has repeatedly said that the federal government is there for you. That's his words to the province. Exactly uh, right. Is the, is the federal government there in terms of setting a leadership role or a guidance, uh, a, a national standard in terms of uh, testing at uh, airports for interprovincial air travel? With the level of coordination which is going on between the provinces and the federal government and municipalities and health authorities, we don't feel that there is a need for us to play the big parent role and impose a, a, a made in Ottawa a solution. Uh, the provinces are not, uh, certainly there's no consensus okay. among provinces uh, for us to play that okay. kind of a role. Sharon Stubbs, uh, just a last word to you in terms of if you, in the spirit of being constructive, what do you think the highest priority is uh, if you have to choose one thing, highest priority for next action in terms of this pandemic? I would say the highest priority for the federal government is to provide clarity, consistency, and certainty on their border measures, as well as a data-driven plan towards reopening Canada. Um, here's the thing, we're, we're having this conversation right now about politicians and governments uh, back and forth together. But what we really should be talking about is the impact this has had on Canadian lives. And so here's the reality. A Canadian either landing at an airport okay. or traveling across the border gets totally contradictory information from PHAC, from CBSA, from the Department of Transport, our own MPs offices following up with ministers and department okay. officials on behalf of our constituents get different answers. This is having a major impact on individual Canadians, their livelihoods, their families, in some cases, their health for people who have traveled for medical uh, necessary mm -hmm. necessities, um, and also on jobs and businesses. Okay. So this is what the, the Liberals have got to get right. They've okay. got to provide certainty, clarity, 
uh, and consistency okay, on word. border measures and on the path to reopening. We're running out of time. I don't mean to cut you all off, but we're running out of time. A last word to you, Don Davies. If you, if you had to choose one priority, just in a few words, what do you think it would be? Well, I think we have to, to. I think we have to take a look at inter interprovincial rules. You know, uh, there was in a two-week period they found that an average of 17 flights a day be between Canadian cities had at least one passenger testing positive. It doesn't make any sense to test people who are coming from out of the country, but not do that okay. within our country. And the temperature checks have proved ineffective at, at catching COVID. And by the way, the federal legislation clearly gives. Uh, the federal government, the power to make rules on interprovincial travel. If they don't do it, nobody else will do it. Okay. Public safety and health demands it. Okay, on that note, something tells me we'll be discussing this again in the future. I want to thank all three of you and wish you a, health, a happy and healthy weekend. Thanks for speaking with us. Likewise, thank take you, care, likewise. everyone. Stay well, everyone. <laughs> Alberta Premier Jason Kenney continued to face political turbulence among his own ranks this week, and it came to a head with the expulsion from his caucus on Thursday night of two of his MLAs. Todd Lowen and Drew Barnes had both been critical of Kenney's leadership, and Lowen called publicly for Mr. Kenney to resign. Lowen was also among 16 other members of caucus who signed an open letter last month publicly disagreeing with Premier Kenney's handling of the new public health restrictions. I'm joined now by the newly independent MLA, Todd Lowen. Mr. Lowen, first of all, thanks for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Okay, I, I want to ask, I mean, last night it was a, supposedly, by all accounts, a very long caucus meeting where they decided they voted, to, voted the two of you out. When you resigned as caucus chair and then wrote your open letter calling for the premier to step down, I imagine you might have expected this outcome that you saw last night. Yes, obviously it was a, obviously a possible outcome. I knew that going into that letter that, uh, that this could be a possible result. result. And uh, that was just, I, I still felt I had to do the letter. I still felt I had to represent my constituents and, uh, and in many Albertans that have uh, lost trust in the premier. Okay, well, let's get to that. In, in your letter, you called, uh, you, when you asked Premier Kennedy to step down, you called the Premier's government out of touch and arrogant with contradictory, contradictory, confusing, and needlessly inflammatory messaging. What was going wrong? What was the problem? You know, it just was uh, consistently we were coming up with this, this decisions and plans that would, uh, would all of a sudden change because, because of uh, public outcry. And we obviously had uh, different things going on there that were, were causing issues. Uh, particularly in the last week, we had two cancelled caucus meetings, and, and we, uh, you know, in the situation that we're in now in government, there's a lot of things going on, a lot of critical issues, and to cancel caucus meetings when there are so many critical issues going on, that that is the time for caucus members to speak their mind and be able to hear government direction and, and possibly have influence on government direction. You. But, um... uh, represent their constituents too. Yeah. In your letter, you criticized the Premier Kenny's dealings with Ottawa, but you also criticized how he dealt with the, the pandemic measures. Uh, what was it about the measures that annoyed you, about his way of dealing with the pandemic measures? Well, I think what the, the problem with the pandemic measures is there was a lot of confusing messaging going on. But this really wasn't about the, about those, the, the COVID or the, re, the restrictions that the, the government was putting in. This was about leadership in, uh, in, our, in our province here in Alberta. And about the, the Premier's uh, lack of leadership and the, the lack of trust that, that uh, Albertans have with this leader. Uh, overwhelmingly, the constituents that I talked to and the people I talked to have lost trust in the, in the Premier, lost trust in this government. 
And uh, obviously, we need to draft a drastic change to get things back on track. And that's, that's why it took such drastic action. When you were one of the 16 people, the 16 MLAs who signed that open letter opposing uh, Premier Kenny's health measures about a month ago, uh, he's since brought in even more severe measures, more stricter restrictions. The infection rates have continued to go up. The 16 of you, though, took issue with him imposing those measures and said that they shouldn't be imposed, uh, for example, in rural regions and shouldn't be opposed, imposed across the board. Do you possibly feel that given that the infection rates continued to go up and he's now since brought in some even more stringent measures, that that opposition might have been misguided? Have you rethought your opposition to the measures? No, obviously what had happened there, and if you read the letter, you'll see that the, the situation was is that the government had come up with guidelines and, uh, and levels and numbers that uh, to give Albertans an idea of what, what direction the government would head at different points. And, uh, but they didn't follow through with that. And that's, that's what that letter was about. It was about the government not following through on its commitment to Albertans and to small business owners who make plans based on uh, what they're told by government. And that, that was the situation. And obviously, we, uh, you know, this situation we're in now uh, is, is about leadership. It's, it's about a, a myriad of things that this, this uh, leader has done. He's uh, obviously created a lot of confusion with a lot of uh, different issues. And, and, and of, of course, He's, he's very unpopular right now in Alberta. His uh, polling is uh, in the tanks. And in order to, for us to form government again in 2023, this, this party needs a, a drastic change. I want to ask you that. You, there's a quote that you had, I think, last night to media, and you said that you did this because everywhere you turned and everyone you spoke to said you are not going to get reelected with Jason Kenney as a leader. We won't vote UCP if Jason Kenney is still the premier. Uh, is that part of your decision that this was just you had no choice and this was a, a good time to get out. Yeah, obviously the, that's what I hear over and over again is that, uh, that, that people will not vote UCP with, uh, with this leader that we have now. And th this is a situation where, uh, where the, they shot the messenger. I was the, I was the messenger, I was bringing forward what, uh, what Albertans are telling me, what Albertans are telling Polster, what Albertans are telling their neighbors. And this is, uh, this is a situation where I brought these, these concerns forward in caucus. I brought them forward uh, regularly, and others have brought forward too. And uh, obviously now, since I brought it forward publicly like this, this was a situation where the, they, were, they decided they were going to shoot the messenger instead of uh, listening to the, to the message and uh, dealing with the issues that are at hand. Do you think there are other United Conservative Party MLAs uh, who might follow your path, or are they now biting their tongues and have, have they now all been whipped into, into line uh, after yours and Drew Barnes' expulsions? Um, I, I won't speak on behalf of any of my colleagues. They will make decisions based on uh, what they feel is right for themselves and their constituents. But uh, obviously, you could, uh, you could tell by the length of the meeting that, the, that it wasn't just a, a slam dunk that uh, me and uh, Drew were removed from caucus. There was a, there was a lot of discussion on both sides. And uh, there's still a lot of support in, in caucus for, for myself and for Drew, too. And obviously, the, uh, the situation needed to be, needs to be dealt with. Obviously, leadership is an issue. The Premier could uh, subject himself to a leadership review, but he's uh, failed to do that and, or, or at minimum, put it off so long that it doesn't make sense for the party. And when the leader, no doubt, probably said to you at least on one occasion, "Look, uh, you know this is this is a this is a team sport here. Stick with the gang. We have two two years to go until the election. Things will get better." You just don't accept that. No, uh, obviously there's been uh, lots of discussion of uh, we've heard the word team a lot, but we haven't uh, seen much of a team. We we see a lot of. Uh,
you know, animosity and a lot of uh, calling people out and, and, and disregarding people's opinions within caucus by this leader. It, uh, it happened in a meeting yesterday. Even. And it, it's, uh, obviously, that's not a way to build a team. I think the, the, the premiers, we've all asked multiple times for, for caucus to, to talk about unity and talk about how we can uh, be together as a team and how we can work together to, uh, for the common good of Alberta. But uh, it seems like at every opportunity to do that, uh, the Premier just uh, pushes it away and uh, says he doesn't want to discuss that. Okay, well, Todd Lowen, I want to thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you for speaking with us. No problem. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it, and uh, have a great day. On Friday, the federal government released new guidelines on what activities Canadians may or may not be able to enjoy this summer, depending on infection rates and how many Canadians get vaccinated. We'll discuss them in a few moments with our journalist panel, but here's Health Minister Patty Haidu talking about the new guidelines. This is a roadmap for Canadians. This gives Canadians a vision of what it looks like as we proceed down this vaccination path together, what kinds of activities we can anticipate we can enjoy without worrying about either catching COVID or transmitting COVID. And certainly I think um, it helps provide uh, that guideline for uh, Canadians as they go undergo their own community's um, journey with vaccination. Joining me now are two journalists and avid watchers of federal politics. Tonda McCharles is a parliamentary reporter for the Toronto Star, and Ian Bailey is a member of the Globe and Mail's Ottawa Bureau and author of the Daily Politics Briefing newsletter. Both of you, hi. Thanks for joining us. Hey there. Let's start with the, uh, I guess you'd call it the day's news. The government released a much-awaited guidelines. It's called Life After Vaccination, and it's quite general, uh, but it suggests what Canadians might be able to do or not do this summer and fall. It says for the spring, we should all be staying inside, but for the summer, it says we could be doing things like going out to patios, going camping, having picnics, but if we reach vaccination levels of 75% of eligible people with a first dose and 20% of people with a second dose, what do you make of these guidelines? I'll start with you, Tonda. Look, those guidelines are very vague. They're nowhere near the clarity and specificity of the American guidelines to their population, either for summer or for fall. And frankly, this summer, according to Theresa Tam, will look a lot like last summer. Uh, you can go out in very small groups outside. Uh, but she's layering in the added vaccination thresholds and whatnot. I think that if this, if this is what the government has to offer people as aspirational or hope, um, I think they might want to take another run at it because I don't know that this is any great motivator if they want to incentivize people to get vaccines and nor is it any great motivator to get people to comply with what they want them to comply with, which is the ongoing public health restrictions. Okay. Uh, Ian, your reaction or to, to what we've seen so far? Well, you know, this, this provides some hope, uh, especially after the uh, challenges and concerns about AstraZeneca. So it's almost like a, it feels like a bit of a channel changer. I agree with Tonda. It's very general stuff. Um, and obviously it hinges on the provinces to a great degree. I'm in British Columbia and sort of the things we can do here uh, will go through Dr. Bonnie Henry and the BC government, not through what we heard today from the federal government. Although it's a good, it's a good series of uh, aspirational kind of goals. Um, echoes what the prime minister said earlier, um, and, and yeah, that's sort of where it seems to be on this material today. 
Okay, let's go to, to the, be honest. So, to be honest, I think that it really it was an attempt to put some meat on the bones of what was really a political slogan by the prime minister: yeah. the one dose summer, two dose fall. I mean, in truth, actually, it's going to be a one dose spring, right? We're going to all be done by spring, by the time spring's over, June twenty first, and then we'll be well into it in the summer, two doses. So we're not looking at the fall. Uh, so look, I think they're trying to put meat on the bones, but it absolutely is all going to be up to the pro- uh, to the provinces, mm-hmm. and premiers will decide what they want to do. Saskatchewan is already saying. We're not aiming for 75% before we start reopening in terms of vaccinations. We're going for 70%. Okay. That's enough, and we, we've made our calculations. Okay, well, speaking of the provinces, let's go to something which was ongoing this week. And this is now the fourth letter that Ontario Premier Doug Ford has sent to the, uh, to the federal government. He is pushing again, and he had a press conference in which, it, once again, he harangued Ottawa for what he calls a porous and ineffective border controls. Um, he reiterated his request, specifically he wants PCR testing of all domestic air travellers wants more limits on international air travel. He wants mandatory quarantine hotels for people arriving at the land border. Uh, Two questions, the politics of it all. And second question, why doesn't the Trudeau government seem to want to or be able to move on these things? Uh, Start with you, Tonda. So the politics are pretty clear. I mean, I think that Doug Ford is desperately trying to deal with a variant-driven epidemic that's still swamping hospitals, especially across southern Ontario, um, and even in Ottawa here today. So uh, I think that he is trying to draw attention to the fact that there are gaps in the current restrictions internationally, which is up to Ottawa to deal with. And I think the land border crossing piece has bugged a lot of people. So he has a point there. Um, The government, however, the federal government, is is not saying, you know, they continue to say, oh, we're waiting for formal requests from uh, from the premier. Mm-hmm. But he, I think the premier is right. Those four letters are pretty clear in what they want the feds to do. Why don't they want to do it? Well, look, I think that the fact of the matter is there is essential traffic also crossing, and yeah. they don't want to layer on, a t- on top of all those restrictions more barriers to essential movement of goods and people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ian, you're reading of both the politics and Ottawa's response. Well, it's been widely reported, of course, that uh, you know Mr. Ford is facing, the Premier is facing quite a number of challenges in the politics of his management of the pandemic. He is the leader of the largest province, most populous province in the country, and so he's certainly entitled to raise these issues, and there's been considerable reporting and assessment of problems with the way we're handling the borders. Um, it would be interesting to see if the federal government eventually tried to reach some agreement with the Ontario government on these matters um, to see how that would play. This seems to sort of also foreshadow the next federal election, um, like it's almost early kind of fencing on the matter. This may be beneficial to Mr. O'Toole, we'll see. But um, it really does seem like um, uh, sort of shadow boxing for the looming federal election, perhaps later this year. Okay, I want to finish with something uh, that was long awaited, and that is the Ethics Commissioner, Mario Dion's report on Justin Trudeau and Bill Morneau, in which he found the Prime Minister didn't violate conflict of interest guidelines, although he said there was an appearance of conflict of interest, but he didn't find him having contravened anything. He did find that former Finance Minister Bill Morneau did was in a conflict of interest in his dealings with the WE charity. Um, Tonda, what do you make of it all? 
Look, I think that this report now lands um, a, a, an opportunity for any of the parties to suggest in a campaign that they are prepared to legislate a clearer definition of who is or isn't a political friend That's and right. who is or isn't in an apparent conflict of interest. The law doesn't describe those or define those, no matter what Mario Dion, the ethics commissioner, wants right now. And so... You know, Trudeau was completely cleared on that respect, that he did not violate the, the law as it stands now. I would love to hear who is prepared to toughen that law. And you don't hear, you haven't heard any of the parties in their reactions to this say, yep, that's the way we're going to go. Okay, Ian, uh, the politics of this all, some people have suggested this was good news relatively for the government because the prime minister wasn't found to have contravened anything. Then other people have said, well, no, it's not a good day when your former finance minister is found to have contravened the rules of conflict of interest. Uh, what do you think uh, is going on in the PMO and in political corners? Well, as, as, as I think some have observed, it's a lucky thing for the Liberals, perhaps, that Mr. Morneau was their former finance minister. It would have been obviously a very different situation for the Liberals had he still been in cabinet. Watching the political reaction to this yesterday, it seems as though the, Mr. Dion, in doing his diligent work as the ethics commissioner, um, the result gave the, each of the parties something. Obviously, mm -hmm. it kind of diffused a problem for the, for the government. But in, in discreet ways, I think Tonda referred to it, it gives the other parties something to take into the campaign, the inevitable election campaign later on, about these ethics controversies and about campaigning to sort of deal, do better and have better rules on these ethics matters. So yeah, th th that's sort of where it seems at this point um, with this result. Do you think, uh, just last point to you, Ian, do you think the prime minister, though, may have diffused a lot of it in the sense that both he and the finance minister did come out and say, we didn't do well, we didn't recuse ourselves, we should have recused ourselves. There was at least a, they sort of, in a way, preempted some of the things that the, the ethics commissioner found. They said those things, and it was damage control, but I guess for them, the commissioner's report is going to be probably more helpful to them, to a degree, um, than their, their apologies earlier on. Okay. Well, listen, I want to thank both of you. I want to wish you a happy and productive weekend. Stay safe, and we'll speak again in a thank few weeks. Guys. All the best. Have a good weekend. Well, before we leave you, we want to mention that in two weeks' time, on May the 27th, Justin Trudeau will deliver a formal apology for the internment of Italian-Canadians during the Second World War. Hundreds of Italian-Canadians were interned, and tens of thousands around the country were declared enemy aliens. The Prime Minister will apologize to them and their relatives for the pain, hardship, and discrimination they faced. Well, that's it for this edition of Primetime Politics. I'm Martin Stringer. Thanks for watching.